You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today, our guest on Preaching Source is Dr. Mark Howell. He is the senior pastor of Hunter's Glen Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. He's on campus with us uh, this week for the Text-Driven Preaching Conference. He's a dear friend, a great pastor, and a preacher, and we're delighted to have him. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Barry. It's so good to be with you. All right, you're here uh, to help us with our text-driven preaching conference. I want to ask you, where did you first uh, hear the term text-driven preaching, and at what point in your ministry did did you make up your mind that you wanted to be a text-driven expository preacher? Well, that's an interesting story because I didn't first hear the term text-driven. I saw it Uh, embodied in my pastor when I was a young man. I became a Christian in the ninth grade. I was raised in a home that was anything but Christian. And when I became a Christian, my pastor, Jim Henry of the First Baptist Church of Orlando, Florida, every week would open his Bible, he would read the Scripture, and then he would expound what was in the Scripture. And he would conclude by tying in the Christ-centered focus of that Scripture. And I listened to that as a young man. A few years later, I had the privilege of being on the staff of that church as an intern. We were in the Bahamas. It was Saturday night. Pastor comes in from the Bahamas and said, I'm looking forward to having you, Mark, preach at my church tomorrow morning. I had never preached, ever. I wasn't even called at that time to the ministry. I was simply serving as an intern in the church. And so I thought to myself, what what do I do? Well, I thought, I'm just going to do what my pastor did, what I saw happen every Sunday. And so I found a passage of Scripture. I don't know how I found it. I can't remember. I just found it. And uh, I said, uh, okay, I've got to figure out what this passage is saying. We found we're at a Baptist retreat center in the Bahamas, and there was a one-volume commentary of Matthew Henry. And we sat at a kitchen table in a Baptist retreat center, and we passed around a one-volume commentary from Matthew Henry, and we did our exegesis. And then I put together an outline. I drafted an introduction, I thought about a conclusion, and I went to that church and I preached the next day. My sermon was nine minutes. I said everything that I knew in (laughs) nine minutes, but it was my first opportunity to preach, and I didn't know there was anything other than text-driven expository preaching. I didn't know. I wasn't in church. I didn't have any background. I had no knowledge of homiletics, hermeneutics, or anything. I just saw it faithfully modeled week after week, uh, month after month, year after year. And so my first introduction to it wasn't through terminology. It was through the actual practice of it. And then it's an interesting story because when I started to preach, I really began to be uh, called by the Lord to ministry. And so we were in the student building at our church, rummaging through some cabinets. We found some tapes, uh, cassette tapes. That tells you how old I am, but some cassette tapes uh, from Dr. John MacArthur. And I didn't know whose tapes they were, and I just grabbed them. I had a little, little, not eight track, a little cassette player in my car, and I began to listen to some of his sermons. And uh, and so through example and through experience, God was gracious to put people in my life who believed not only in the authority of the Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture, but who taught it, who taught it. So it really wasn't until seminary uh, when I came with more learned individuals 
that I learned what I was seeing done and then what I was doing was actually expository or text-driven preaching. So I, I look back at my life, and uh, for the grace of God, uh, I could have gone any other direction, uh, but my heart was stirred to love the Scripture and to hear it exp expounded. And then I think about uh, the passage uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, where the disciples said, after Jesus preached his exposition of the entire, uh, entire Old Testament, uh, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us, while we walked along the road, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And so it has been my passion to see people whose hearts begin to yearn and burn for the Scriptures uh, because we have the privilege of opening them up. What a joy. I mean, what an incredible joy that is. Mark, that, that leads me to another question. What, what do you think uh, are the qualities of, of what we might term as, as must-listen-to preaching? Yeah, that, that's a, a, an easy one to answer, and I uh, had the privilege of doing earlier today um, a breakout session on introductions and conclusions in the text-driven message. And I was saying in that, in that breakout session that obviously you've got, to, you've got to love the text. You've got to point to the text. You've got to preach the text. We don't preach from the text we preach the text. We point people to the text. Uh, maybe a better way to put it is we don't talk about the text. We preach the text. And so fundamentally, a commitment to the Scripture and a commitment to make the Scriptures come alive. And so coupled with that commitment to the Bible would be a desire to be the best possible communicator you can be. Communication does not happen simply because I am talking and you are listening. Communication means literally to share meaning. And so it doesn't matter if I can take my thoughts and put them into words and then communicate them or speak them. Uh, that's fine. That's good. But those words must be received and those words must be understood for us to have communicated. And so communication requires creativity. It requires study. It requires an understanding of your audience. It requires a desire to be interesting. Uh, Dr. Patterson always says it's a sin to be boring. And that is so true. So must-haves in a expository or text-driven preaching are fundamentally, I'm committed to Scripture. If Scripture doesn't say it, I don't preach it. Uh, I don't make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. I don't, I don't have to jazzy it up, you know, to make it more appealing. But what I need to understand is if people don't connect with me, if they don't receive what I say, if I'm not clear in the way I communicate it, I'm not interesting, then it's going to fall upon deaf ears. And so I want to make sure that I do the work necessary to communicate not only the truth of Scripture, but to do it in a way that actually people will listen to it and hear it and respond to it. Uh, that is not an easy task, as you know. You do it for a living. Uh, it takes a lot of work, and I think a lot of us uh, are lazy, in a sense, in the, in the pulpit. I really do. I think we're lazy because we know it's the Word of God. People should want to hear it. They should come in, open their Bible, and say, feed me. But that's not the case. Mom and Dad had an argument on the way to church because Junior got his nice white pants dirty. Uh, that argument prompted a bunch of other arguments. 
they pull into your church, they roll the windows up on the car, they get out, they put their stained glass smiles on their face, you know, they walk in. They're not thinking, I can't wait to hear what Dr. Howell has to say today. Uh, They're in another world. And so I have to be able to have prepared in such a way that I can take the truth and the importance and the life-changing nature of this text and communicate it to them in a way that I can maybe get their attention and they can hear it. How does a pastor lead from the pulpit? Well, I think he leads in his commitment, one, to the Scripture. My church has four core values, and I won't go into all those, but the first is think biblically. And I think there is not a Sunday that goes by that I don't tell people this. We do not interpret the world through the lenses of our experience. We interpret our world through the lenses of the Bible. And so I repeatedly help our people to understand that when I want to make sense of the world around me, whatever my world entails, my family, my kids, my job, my hurts, my struggles, Um, current events, everything that goes on, the way I understand those things is I understand those things through the lenses of what Scripture says, because Scripture ultimately touches on every key of the keyboard of the human heart. It will touch every facet of a person's life. So my leadership from the pulpit isn't necessarily to cast vision for my church. Um, I, I, I think that's part of it. But my leadership from the pulpit is to help people to understand that Scripture should provide the framework for every aspect of their lives. And if I don't begin every sermon with, open your Bible, I don't conclude every sermon with, this is what the Bible says, and I don't show them repeatedly throughout the message that the Scripture is relevant, I don't make it relevant, it's already relevant, then any other way I would lead in my church is sending a different signal. So the best way, and I would say this to any pastor who's listening, the best way you can lead from the pulpit is let your people see through your example that you are committed to, uh, above anything else, the Word of God. You stand under its authority. Your authority is given to you by the Word of God, and it speaks to their lives. And obviously, the central theme of the Bible is the gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the hero of every passage in Scripture. He's the focal point. You know, somebody had once said Jesus is the ultimate, or excuse me, the the Old Testament is the ultimate hymn book. I mean, it speaks of him. Uh, The Bible speaks of Jesus. Uh, Not every passage, of course, explicitly, but implicitly, he's the the hero of of the message. And so uh, a, a way that I lead through my commitment to Scripture is to help people see that every passage will ultimately lead to him and to a relationship with him. So if I'm preaching on stewardship, listen, I want them to give. They should give. The Bible teaches to give, but I also know that the greatest stewardship they have is their life. And what good would it do for them to give and be generous, and that, as Jesus said, to forfeit their soul? So the stewardship that the New Testament teaches about, and even the Old Testament, ultimately comes down to a stewardship of what am I going to do with the one life that I have? Am I going to recognize my need to be redeemed and the provision the Bible paints for a Savior? So, you know, it's a Brian Chapel said it, didn't he? The fallen condition focus, every passage ultimately points to the grace necessary for the gospel to meet uh, that need in the passage. So you won't hear me preach without giving people an opportunity to respond to the gospel Um, because I think that's the central theme of the entire Bible. It ultimately comes to that. So, And I want them to think that in their own life. 
I view my world through the lenses of the Bible, and I also view my world through the lenses of the gospel, which is the central theme of, of, of all of Scripture. Uh, Mark, in our work, uh, we're called to be pastors and teachers, and, and we teach from the pulpit, but how do we pastor from the pulpit? And, and specifically, how, how do you gauge the spiritual condition of your flock or, or look out for the spiritual condition of your flock from the pulpit? Well, somebody has said, and I, you know, that, that, that somebody, whoever that is, if you want to know the temperature of your church, the spiritual temperature, put a thermometer in the pastor's mouth, right? So I can't expect for my people to walk with the Lord Jesus unless I'm walking with the Lord Jesus and I'm faithful to him in every way. People can spot a phony and they can spot a fake and, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll see it. They'll know there's something missing if there's something missing in your life. So they need to see a pastor who loves the Lord Jesus and what he portrays in the pulpit is not unlike what he portrays in his private life. And they see that. They see that in the way you act with them. They see that in the, the time that you offer to them. They see that in your care for them. You know, people are asking three questions every time I preach about, about me. One, am I credible? Uh, two, uh, do I care? Um, and three, uh, is what I'm saying believable? You know, is it believable? And so they're trying to they're, they're trying to weigh all those things out. If they deem that I'm not credible or I don't care, it doesn't really matter if I'm believable. It doesn't even matter, you know, what I have to say. So I, I think that's the first step. I think the second step is 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 what I try to do is be with my people. I like I love being with my people. I have an open door policy at my church. You know, if you want to come see me and the doors open, walk in. If not, we'll wait till the doors open and then come in. But I'm not one of those. You know, we always have these pastors that are untouchable. Uh, there's a mystique about them, and and that's just not me. Uh, that's just not me. I didn't see that in Jesus. Did you? Uh, in Jesus or or Paul, he wanted to be among the people and and walk with the people. And so, I, I want my people to know that 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 the guy they see in the pulpit is a guy that, that is out among them. And when you're out among them, you kind of know what they're wrestling with. You know what they're dealing with. You, you, they, they let their guard down a little bit and tell you. And so even as I prepare to preach to them and pastor them from the pulpit, what I do in my preparation is I look out into my worship center and the people that are there on Sunday mornings. And as you know, people sit in the same seats, right? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We're going to fall into a trap any way we can if it's sitting in the same pew and um, so I think about that person over on the right-hand side on that third pew on the end, and I know who that person is. You know, that's a college student, and I know that college student, and I know they're wrestling with some issues about their future. And then I think about that, that older couple that's about halfway back in the middle section, and I, and I know that they're wrestling with retirement and trying to find meaning and purpose in these new chapters of their life. And I look over here and I see a business a guy or a business lady and they're traveling and they're trying to balance family and life and Christianity and the busyness of the schedule. They're running on the, the corporate treadmill. And I think about all those people because I've spent time with them. And then when I'm in my study, I'm thinking about, okay, the Bible's relevant. It's relevant to them. How can I communicate this in a way that it kind of connects the dots a little bit for them in their spiritual journey? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to think about them as I'm preparing too. you know, somebody has, has said, I read, and I can't remember who it was. Was it John Stott between two worlds? He said, you should exegete the, uh, the world on one hand and, and the Bible on the other hand, you've got a foot in both worlds and you've got to. And if your foot's just in the biblical world in the stained glass tower of your office or your study, you're not going to know 
what's going on in the real world of people's lives. You know, there's a there's a great divide, I think, that exists between the pastor study sometimes and the and the pew. Um, and we might be talking and we're talking and nobody's hearing us because we're not talking to to them. Mm. Mark, you're uh, leading a breakout session here at our preaching conference this week. Uh, the title, I love the title. It's Begin with a Bang and End with a Bang, Introducing and Concluding an Expository Sermon. Can, can you give us just a brief synopsis of, of your breakout session? So we think in, in lists. Um, I noticed at this conference you have a schedule, and it has lists. It has, we're going to start here, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. The human mind is linear. You know, it just, it just thinks very, in a very structured way. Uh, you make a grocery list. A pastor has a to-do list. A, a business person has an itinerary for their schedule and their travel. Um, and, and, and when we think about lists, there are two things in that list. No matter how many things are in that list, you're going to remember above everything else. You're going to remember the first thing you write, and you're going to remember the last thing. And the reasons are very different. The first thing you write is what we call primacy. You're going to remember it because it's the first thing you wrote down. It's that primary thing you thought of to put on your list, whether it's I need eggs or whether I need to attend this or do this. You're going to remember it. It's the first thing you wrote. That's the most important thing to you. You're also going to remember the last thing because of recency. It's the last thing you thought of. You wrote it down. It's the last thing you're going to remember the last thing you wrote. A lot of studies that go into showing that this is true. Now, I don't think you forget everything else in the middle, but if it is true that we remember the the most primary thing and we remember the the most recent thing, and when it comes to a sermon, a lot of times as pastors, we, we neglect preparing an introduction and preparing a conclusion. We're so focused on the exegesis, and rightly so, of the passage and the outline and the proposition, and we should be. We're, we're committed to that. But at the same time, we need to realize that if in the first minute people are deciding, do I like him and do I want to listen to him, then I better take time to begin in such a way that is going to get their attention, arrest their attention, show them relevance, show them the text, show them why they should listen, and then I should always also likewise conclude by driving home that truth because it's going to be the last thing they're going to hear. So when I was asked to do this breakout, I thought, wow, what better way than to begin with a bang and end with a bang? That's not to say the middle is not important. It is just to say that I think a lot of times we neglect the importance of the introduction and we neglect the importance of the conclusion, specifically in the conclusion, tying in in a very seamless way that gospel-centered focus. So that's what I've been teaching in, in the breakout, and we've been looking at some great examples of that in a lot of different sermons and speeches, and it, it's a lot of fun. All right. You, you mentioned lists, so let me just on the fly here, let me give you some lists. Uh, can you list for us uh, what would be some of the key principles uh, of a good introduction, and then uh, a list of the key uh, pitfalls of an introduction. Let's talk about introductions. First. Okay, so the, the, the principles of a good introduction, I think you could say, hey, you look dude. Uh, Dr. Jerry Vines says that in his uh, uh, sermon uh, book on, on sermon preparation. I was with him and, Jerry, and uh, Dr. Jerry Vines and Adrian Rogers many years ago. Uh, at a lunch. Now, I was a, a seminary student. I, I was not invited to that lunch for the knowledge that I was going to offer those two men. I was just invited to come and be there and listen. 
And uh, Dr. Vine said to me, hey, uh, Mark, ask uh, Dr. Rogers what he thinks the key elements of an introduction are. And without batting an eye, Dr. Rogers looked at me and said, hey, you look due. And later, years later, I read it. It's in Dr. Vine's book. So obviously they practice what they preach. But uh, Dr. Rogers said, you've got to get their attention. You've got to show that it's relevant to them. You have to point them to the Bible and you have to give them some type of direction where the sermon's going to go. And I have, I have practiced that in my entire ministry. I mean, as a, that was not a seminary classroom. That was a lunch. I think it was a free lunch, too. I think they bought my lunch. But I got to hear that. And so I think you've got to get attention. You have to show relevance. You don't create relevance. You show it. The Bible's relevant. You have to point to the Bible. And then you have to give them some type of indication, hey, we're going somewhere. It's like filing the flight plan as a pilot. You don't just get out there and rev up the engine and figure out where you're going to go. You, you want your passengers to know we're, we're going this certain, certain direction. Coupled with that, I think pitfalls are very obvious. Not beginning with the text or reading the text and then not touching it again. You know, preaching about it not preaching from it or not preaching through it, not being able to identify in a single sentence the main idea of the passage and it in turn your sermon. How can you expect people to know what the main idea of your sermon is if you can't state it yourself? Uh, failing to get attention. Remember in the first 10 seconds they're, they're trying to decide, do I like you? In the first minute they're trying to decide, why should I listen to you? assuming that just because you're the preacher, they're going to walk in. Listen, uh, Dwayne Litvin said it this way, you've got to be the most interesting thing in the room. And in the room, guess what's in the room? Androids, iPhones, they can play video games, they can surf the net, they can respond to emails. Um, you're competing against things today that are different than you ever competed, that we ever competed against in communication. We do that as professors in a classroom. You know, they're, they're looking at their computers. They're, they're not necessarily paying attention. So you've got to somehow get their attention. If you, if you don't uh, try to do that, you're going to fail. Um, and then I think not providing a smooth transition from your uh, actual introduction into your body. You know, if, if it's a well-thought-out flight plan, then you need to be able to move right from the introduction, and it ought to flow naturally into it. And I, here's what I would say. If in preparing your introduction, you were to, you've prepared it so well, you sit down, and don't finish the sermon, the people should beg you to get back up and finish. You should prepare your introduction so well and bring them into the text so well that if you sat down, they would say, no, 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 no. We want to hear the rest of this. Uh, unfortunately, many times I think our people would be thrilled if in our introduction we would sit down because I don't think we're clear enough about what we're about to say and why this is important and why they should listen. There's an ancient story about Demosthenes telling the Athenian assembly a story about a man who rented a donkey for the day, and they began to argue about who owned the shadow when it came time to sit in the shadow, and he stopped and walked out, and they demanded. They went and grabbed him, demanded he finish the story. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, that reminds me of that. It's yes, per perfect I, absolutely. Perfect illustration mm -hmm. of that. Perfect mm -hmm. illustration of that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, tell us more. Tell us more. Don't stop. We want to hear it. All right. Uh, let's do the same thing with conclusions. Okay. What, what would you list as the key principles of a good conclusion, and what would be some of the pitfalls? Well, uh, we can start maybe with some pitfalls of a conclusion. I, I think it's not knowing how you're going to land the plane. 
Uh, I was on a flight from Nepal back to the United States. We, we, everything went fine getting back to the U.S. And you're on that last leg, you know, from Newark to Dallas, and you're just ready to get home. And we're flying in. This was last week, and there were storms in the area. Pilot came on and said, hey, we're not going to be able to make it to Dallas because of storms. We have to be rerouted, so we're going to have to land in Houston. We need more gas. So I'm thinking when a pilot says you need gas, you need gas, so let's go get gas. We start heading to Houston. We get over Lake Conroe. She makes a U-turn. We head back up to Dallas. Said we're cleared, cleared to land in Dallas. Good news. And I'm thinking, wait, we need gas. So we start on our way back to Dallas. Halfway to Dallas, she makes another U-turn, says Dallas airport's closed again because the storms are going back to Houston. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, why do we keep circling around for an hour when you said you needed gas an hour ago? There was nothing more frustrating to me, though, as a passenger when I wasn't sure where we were going to land and when we were going to land. And I guarantee you the pilot felt that way. Think about your listeners. If you don't know how you're going to land and they don't sense that there's a smooth landing and it's a crash landing, there's frustration there if they have followed you to that point. So in a conclusion, you've got to have a well-thought-out, purposeful, and planned, uh, planned landing. You just have to. Um, and that takes study and that takes practice. And a big pitfall is a lot of us wait till the last minute and we figure out, well, I can figure out how to end this thing. You know, in conclusion or the worst yet, let us pray. You know, it's like you crash land with let us pray. And you, so and I think along those lines, you've got to be concrete, specific. What specifically is this passage calling me to do? And what specifically is it calling me to do with regard to the gospel? So what, what, you know, how must I be saved? Every sermon ought to end with, what does this passage say about me ultimately being saved? And not forcing it. You don't have to force it on the passage. So I, I think lack of preparation, lack of thought, lack of tying it all together, I think we just assume, well, I can end. Um, it's not purposeful and it's not planned. I think with regard to the positives, prepare it. Whether you write it out or map it out, you know, I was explaining to somebody earlier today, it's like my conclusions and the way I do it are like stepping stones. The end is across the river and there's about four stepping stones. And so stepping stone number one might be I'm going to close with this illustration. Then I'm going to transition to this principle. And then I'm going to move to this transition statement. Then I'm going to move to these verses in the gospel. And when I do that, then I'm landed. But I've thought of those in advance. I'm not waiting till I'm up there and on the moment letting, you know, scriptures come to my head. I'm thinking through how am I going to purposefully land this? Um, there's some great examples of some fine, fine uh, men of God through history who have done that and masterfully done that. So I think you have to, you have to plan it. And then la lastly, I would just say, and there's so many of these, I would say you have to be personal and, and appeal. The, the, the conclusion is not the time to be reading from a manuscript. It's, it's the time to be speaking to your people, face-to-face, -face, incarnational. That's Christianity. Jesus came and dwelt among us. There's something about when you're, when you're reading your manuscript at the time, or as Dr. Patterson says, we've now come to the five most important minutes of somebody's life. And it's true. Heaven and hell hang in the balance for somebody perhaps that day. So you want to speak as a dying man, as Richard Baxter would say, to dying men. You can't do that if you're not personal and, and you're not right there in the moment with them. And so you've got to be ready for that moment. And that shouldn't be a moment that you're scrambling to find words. Those words should have already been on your lips and in your heart and, and, uh, and, and, and sharing those at that moment. 
We've been speaking today on uh, Preaching Source with Dr. Mark Howell, the senior pastor of Hunter's Glen Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, and it's such a joy to see what's happening here at Southwestern through the text-driven uh, preaching emphasis and the school of preaching, and it's a joy to be a part of it. Oh, God bless you.